engineering was a really good way for me to get into you know, my career as an entrepreneur. And uh, it wasn't until the crash of, I guess, 2000, when everything imploded, that I found myself in a position where I needed to create my own job. And so I, I became an entrepreneur at that point. Welcome to Lawagon Life. Our guest today is Startup Fest's founder, Philippe Tillio. Philippe is a serial entrepreneur passionate about the startup world. The International Startup Festival, also known as the Startup Fest, is a successful series of international conferences on the business of startups. As a result of the event's success, Philippe also founded two related initiatives, Resolve 2 and the Elevator World Tour. Learn more about Philippe's passion to create his own job, which led him to build one of the most recognized events for startups. Hello, and thank you very much. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it, it's a pleasure to be here. And this is my first, first of all, uh, conference where I get to give a conference. Usually, <laughs> I'm in the position where I'm putting people behind the, the camera or on stage. Uh, so thank you for having me here. It's a real pleasure. We were originally supposed to be doing this live, uh, but thanks to uh, the powers of COVID, here we find ourselves at, at a distance. And so I will imagine you all sitting in front of me, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll have some fun. Um, uh, to answer your first question, Sarin, in terms of uh, my background, in effect, I studied engineering. I was not a very good engineer. I was a far better salesperson than I was an engineer. And that became pretty obvious to my first boss uh, when uh, when she told me that uh, there was no way I was going to be coding on those computers. I better get out there and start to sell some of the stuff we were doing. Uh, but, uh, but yes, I studied engineering uh, in Ontario. It feels like a very long time ago. And what was your uh, what was your life life before you started as an entrepreneur? What what kind of jobs uh, did you have? And when when did you have this 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 click? When did you take the decision uh, to, to to go on your own? Well, so I took the decision. I would say very early in my life, but actually only took action far later in my life. And what I mean by that is, I kind of always knew that I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, I came from a background. My family uh, were were engineer. Or were sorry, were entrepreneurs. Uh, and so uh, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into to the space of entrepreneurship. And for some reason, I felt like I was going to get into construction and project management and real estate. And so engineering was a really good way for me to get into you know, my career as an entrepreneur. Uh, and it turns out that, uh, well, I didn't end up by building any buildings or bridges or anything of the sort. Uh, but I did find myself into a position where I was working for a technology company and building things. And uh, it wasn't until the crash of, I guess, uh, 2000, uh, when everything imploded, that I found myself in a position where I needed to create my own job. And so I, I became an entrepreneur at that point. Uh, but an engineer is something I still am at heart, certainly. Uh, but don't, uh, don't expect me to come and put up a, a beam in your house. I'm not sure it's going to stand. <laughs> and what was your, your first project, your first, first venture as an entrepreneur? Uh, so as an entrepreneur, it was quite simple. It was a consulting business. Uh, there were lots of people that I knew that needed help uh, expanding internationally, promoting, selling, marketing. And very naturally, because those were my skill sets when I was at a company, uh, somebody called me up, uh, Michel Dubois, to name him specifically. At the time, he was running a multimedia company. And he literally just needed some help. And I, I had time on my hand. And so I very naturally said, sure, I'll help you. Why not? And and. From that first consulting mandate, uh, it was pretty clear that you know I could help companies out, and so I started in that process. 
I met uh, a good friend at the time who actually hired me to the company I was at. Uh, his name was Vincent Guillaume. And uh, Vincent was running a consulting practice and, and suggested that maybe uh, we could build a consulting business together. Uh, that lasted about six months. Uh, it was a lot of fun for six months. Uh, we did a lot of mandates, and then I ended up by continuing on my own uh, and eventually started Startup Fest that really had nothing to do with the consulting business at all. How, how long ago did, uh, did that happen after uh, you first started the, the consulting gig? Well, so uh, I guess we started the consulting practice somewhere around 2001, 2002. Okay. It sounds like a long time ago. Sounds like <laughs> a long time ago now. Uh, and we, I did that for, for you know for quite a few years with some great people. Um, had some had some really solid partners and, and smart people doing consulting, but uh, we very innocently created a first event, uh, really to bring together our customers and you know others that were interested in young innovative companies. And those, those days we didn't really call them startups; they were just small tech businesses. And so uh, we started for the fun of it to run uh, events. And, and really, I'm talking about 50 people in a room here. I'm not talking about anything bigger. Uh, and that turned out to become a business. I mean, I, I really never set out to create, a, you know, Startup Fest as some sort of mega event. It really always started as, you know, just an innocent desire to bring some like-minded, fun people together. And how how did you uh, realize that uh, you could scale this up and that you could uh, build this as, as a product and, and make this, you know, a, a big event? I wish I could say that I was super bright and, you know, I, I foresaw it coming, but really it's quite, uh, quite organically, okay. uh, which is fine. I think a lot of, a lot of great things happen organically when you're ready to listen to the signals and follow the signals, uh, the signals come at you. If you're willing to listen to them, you follow that path and it works. Uh, really for me, it was quite simple. You know, we had, we were running free events, so it wasn't a business or so events was really just. It's something we were doing on the side for the fun of it. Uh, myself, uh, a guy named David Chabou, uh, Vincent a little bit in the beginning, and, and we were just really having fun bringing people together. And, uh, you know, we did that several times. And at one point, we ran out of space. We, we literally didn't, we, we sold out the room we had. And I called the venue and I said, look, do you not have extra space? And I said, look, we have this extra room upstairs, but uh, we're going to have to charge you for it. Uh, extra. And I said, well, you know, okay, what's it going to cost? And I kind of figured out it was going to cost, you know, I, I estimated how many people were going to come. And I told people, look, you know, you have to, we're going to open this other room, but unfortunately we got to charge you $50 because, you know, we need to pay for the room. And uh, we sold out that room. And, and lo and behold, we sort of realized that there was a real hunger out there for people to connect and, and come to events which is very hard to imagine these days. I think people are looking to stay away from hordes of people, but, uh, but cer certainly human nature is such that uh, it works. So look, I, you know, again, very naturally, organically, we fell into running events because they were fun. We liked it. We followed our passion, but uh, the world sort of told us, the market told us, this is something we'd like to do. We'd like to come to more of these things and we want to spend money to come to these things. And once we realized that, and follow those signals. We created a business around it, and from a few hundred people, now we're you know well over seven thousand people. Yeah, and for for those who don't know much about Startup Fest, can you can you talk a bit a bit about um, about the event? Sure, with pleasure. So Startup Fest, uh, we would have been running our tenth edition, tenth anniversary edition this summer in July, and we may still do that. I mean, we'll have to see in what form and what shape that takes. Uh, we haven't taken that off the table altogether. Uh, however, we don't expect to be running a large-scale conference. But, 
You know, Starfest really is, you know, born of this idea that we can't send all of our entrepreneurs out into the world to get connected. And so we created the International Startup Festival, which is what we called it in the original days. It's now become Startup Fest. But uh, the idea was, why don't we bring the world to Montreal to connect with our entrepreneurs? And that way we can really help and support as many entrepreneurs as possible by bringing in lots of great people to Montreal. Uh, we do great content. Uh, and we do content. We don't pay for our speakers. We use our network to find great speakers. And the speakers that we get are uh, people that have really what we call dirt under the nails. And so we look for the person that built Pinterest or built Netflix uh, more than we look for the person that's the, the front face, you know, that, that has some glorified story of entrepreneurship. Uh, those stories are wonderful. And we do you know, put some of those on our stage, of course. Uh, but we, you know, we run a conference outdoors. It's called a festival because it truly is a festival in summer in Montreal with lots of, you know, bean bags and beer being sold. Uh, but it's a conference. Uh, so we have, you know, anywhere from four to six stages happening simultaneously. Uh, there's lots of great opportunities to connect and meet people. And uh, then we will offer tons of opportunities. You know, what we call our tent village is set up for entrepreneurs to go in and pitch a thousand times over four days and uh, really figure out whether they have something, if they have something spectacular, if they should stop working on what they're working on. I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, of you know, outcomes when you come to start a fest, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, you know, we run a big festival here in Montreal where we bring the international community. Uh, we run French content, English content, uh, some sectorial content. Um, yeah. That's start a fest. Great. And um, how did you adapt um, uh, from the first edition to the 10th? What, um, what kind of uh, problems uh, arose while you were building Startup Fest? Yeah, you know, look, the beginning was like most of the things we do, uh, we act like a startup. Uh, and so the beginning was terribly naive. I mean, we had no idea. We had never run, you know, these large scale events. Um, uh, so the difference was, going with my gut uh, and just, you know, begging, borrowing and stealing and well, stealing, not so much, but uh, you know, certainly a lot of begging and borrowing and asking for favors and uh, you know, really putting together something that was, it was quite grassroots. I mean, in those days there were no startup events uh, practically. Uh, there were maybe two, three in the United States, let alone anything really substantial happening in Canada. Um, and so those days were very simple. We didn't care about many things. I and mean, we, we barely even recorded our stages uh, in those days. And, you know, by the ninth edition, because we, you know, haven't yet had the opportunity to run our 10th edition. But by the ninth edition, things were, we all of a sudden knew what we were doing. Uh, we know what it means to put people on stage and how to treat them and, you know, all the logistics and organizations. Plus, you know, the, the world changed. You know, our first edition, the theme was like mobile. That was the theme. If you were doing something in mobile, come to Startup Fest if you got something in mobile. Well, you know, by you know the last couple of years, we were doing you know all sorts of themes. Of course, artificial intelligence, cryptocurrency, uh, cannabis fest. We run a bunch of sort of sectorial things, and and so you know many things have changed. 
the things that haven't changed are really the wonderful things. So, you know, our, our ultimate reason for why we do this and who we do this for uh, have not changed. And uh, our team, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to say that uh, most people that have been around from year one are still around uh, today in year 10. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, talking about team, I think it's uh, it's one of the hardest thing in, in, in building a business. How, how do you go about assembling a team? And uh, have you made any any mistakes? And would you would you like to yeah share maybe some of the lessons learned along along the way? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I don't consider myself the best hirer. I mean, I've uh, I've abdicated that responsibility. Team, uh, you know, we've always been a relatively tight team, so we're, we're not huge. Uh, today we're we're six. Prior to COVID, we were something like fourteen. Uh, and, you know, we ebb and flow as we come closer to the events, of course. We get up to hundreds of employees and, and volunteers in the weeks of the event. Um, you know, look, I think the old adage of finding people that can do things better than you is essential. Uh, but, you know, my role is to make sure that culturally people fit. Uh, certainly yeah. when you're building your the, the team in the beginning, you want everybody to gel. There, there needs to be a sense of camaraderie and respect and, and desire to want to hang out. Uh, you know, early stage companies, uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat, tears, a lot of long hours, a lot of difficult moments. Uh, and so, you, you know, you definitely want to have people that culturally fit uh, very strongly to the organization. And then after that, it's finding people to do the task that needs to be done. Uh, so yeah. being able to articulate really clearly what it is that you're looking for somebody to do, putting out a job description and hiring against that job description. So that it's absolutely 100% clear for everybody, the people that are getting hired, of course, but also the whole team internally understands this is what we're looking for right now. We can all get on the same page. And then I kind of leave it to the team to interview people. Uh, and then okay. often enough, I'm part of the interview process. Uh, just for the fun of it, really, more than anything else. But, uh, you know, each team member has to be responsible. Again, I've had a team that's been around for 10 years, so they know stuff far more than I do in a lot of cases. Great. You, you seem yeah. to have adapted uh, pretty fast to the COVID uh, situation. How was this process? I've, I, I, I saw that you have a, a Have-A-Wish uh, page on your platform. Can you, uh, can you expand on that idea? How did you come with, uh, with this idea in the first place? So, yeah, I mean, COVID uh, came about and uh, it obviously a very difficult, you know, moment to take the decision when the majority of our activities and like any other events or tourism organization or you know, seasonal business, you work for 10 months, you operate for, you know, six months and then or for six weeks yeah. and then you really have your show for two. And so it all kind of comes to that. And so. I've gone through, I think like most people in this process of being confined at home and having their businesses, you know, completely turned upside down. Some businesses haven't, of course. There's some businesses that are thriving because of COVID. Uh, certainly if I was in the grocery business, I'd be very happy these days. Um, but uh, like others, many, many others, uh, I've gone through, you know, varying levels of, uh, you know, emotions and intensities. Uh, it's absolutely normal. I mean, certainly in the beginning where the, where the shock hit at first, we had to take the decision to, uh, uh, then the immediate reaction is, okay, well, what do we do? 
uh, we canceled relatively early. So there were no government programs being announced at that point. Nothing was shut down. There was still business as usual, but we kind of saw that this was going to happen and we canceled early. Uh, and as a result, my immediate reaction was, okay, well, how do we cut out costs right away? You know, I got to make sure that we don't sink, sink the ship. Uh, and then once we figured out how to best stabilize ourselves, we went into a process of, okay, well, you know, what do we do? And this is an opportunity for us to completely throw everything out the window and, and do something completely different. I mean, mm -hmm. we could stop running events and, you know, we could go out and start a new startup or we could do, you know, for all the, I could open up an ice cream shop, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, so we went through a process, not just alone, but with the team and, and others around, you know, what are the options at this stage? Um, we, we love what we do. Uh, and so, of course, naturally we came back to, okay, well, you know, we, we love doing Startup Fest. So then the question becomes, how do we adapt in this reality? And uh, we got back to basics, to be quite honest with you. We really got back to the point where we said, you know, what are, what are our key values? What do we do? Who do we do it for? And then, you know, how do we do those things? The how is by and large through a physical event. And so the how needs to change, but mm -hmm. we realized pretty quickly that who we were doing it for, which was, you know, startup founders uh, and the ecosystem as a whole, but I mean, first and foremost, we're startup founders. And, you know, why we were doing this, which is to, you know, create more entrepreneurs and help these entrepreneurs grow, uh, that, you know, can be done in some other way. We've started to toy out. And so, uh, like any good startup, because we're now back in startup mode as an organization, we have to start testing out new ideas around this sort of minimum viable uh, conference, if you want. What is the minimum viable conference that we can deliver in either an online version or a hybrid version. And so uh, we find ourselves saying, okay, well, what do we do? You know, we deliver great content at Starfest. Okay, how are we gonna go online with content? We're taking a little bit more time on that piece because it's the piece that we did very originally and differently. And as much as we could launch ourselves into doing content online today, we are going to find a way to do, you know, content as interestingly as possible. The second piece was opportunities. You know, what are these opportunities that we offer to entrepreneurs? A lot of this is through contests. So at Startup Fest, we do a couple of hundred thousand dollar investment prizes. We have other, you know, programs like acceleration programs that offer prizes. We've got media prizes. We've got all sorts of prizes. We figure, okay, well, prizes are easy enough for us to do online. So we, we launched out our, our prize platform. Uh, and we're committed to uh, building the same prizes we had last year, which totaled about $1.6 million dollars a real world, you know, actual money prizes. And then the last bit, which was meaningful connections. I mean, people come to Startup Fest because they're looking to meet that co-founder or they're looking to meet the, you know, investor or the banker that can help them or, you know, the, the government official or the, the corporate that can give them a, a contract. Uh, and that's why they come. And so we've launched out and we soft launched it because, you know, we, we don't want to, we want to run a lot of tests in our process, but we launched what we call the Wish platform, which, you know, for those that will eventually be invited in, it's wish.startupfest.com. And the idea is that, you know, startup founders can come to this platform, make a wish 
you know, I'd wish to be connected to this person. You know, I'd like some help, you know, going international. I need some advice on this piece, or I'd like to be introduced to this person. Uh, and then we're going to then invite connectors in to try and fulfill those wishes. And so that's what the wish platform is. So again, we're, we're taking, we're breaking down what it is we do, uh, you know, our opportunities and our, and our platform for competitions, our wish platform for creating meaningful connections and opportunities uh, for entrepreneurs. And we'll get to content pretty soon. Uh, we'll just do it in a, in a very concerted fashion. Okay, great. How do you see uh, yourself and and uh, Startup Fest in uh, in the short term? I would say uh, for the next five years. What's your what's your vision for uh, for the for the event? Uh, look, you know, I consider uh, five years, you know, long term. Um, and, and you know, I guess as you get older, five years starts to feel a little bit shorter term to a certain extent, but but really not. And so, five years to me is like with the uncertainty of how long this is going to last it is really tough to, to predict. Uh, I'm trying to predict, to be honest with you, the next six to 18 months. Uh, and, and when will people feel comfortable uh, coming together, even in small groups? Um, you know, where do I see us? Look, we've been doing this now for, you know, well over 10 years. I mean, if I include the event that we ran before Startup Fest, we've been doing this for like, you know, 14 years or something at this point. Why we do this, I get back to, you know, who are we doing this and why are we doing it? That doesn't change. So in five years from now, I see myself supporting, investing, connecting, and helping entrepreneurs as an organization, as an individual, no doubt. How we will do that, I think, you know, this is a great moment in time for us to accelerate the use of technologies, all of us, not just events, but every business gets this opportunity in time to say, you know what, to move more digitally. And, you know, events for a very, you know, uh, an unusually long period of time, events have, have been able to stay in the old world longer than other industries. Uh, and so I see us being dramatically changed in that we're no longer going to be trying to sell people to come to a physical space, but we still need to continue to offer everything we did, which is, you know, knowledge, connections, and opportunities. And so we'll do that both physically. I expect that we'll go back to physical events because I think humans have a visceral need to, uh, to connect and shake hands. Uh, and if you talk about investors, when I talk to investors these days and try and get them involved in our competition platform, uh, they all say to me, look, you know, doing an investment when I can't shake the person's hand, it's really, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. I'm not sure right, yeah. comfortable investing without seeing the person, you know, often enough, investors like to go out for a drink with the, the entrepreneur before they make the investment because they want to get to know the person. And uh, it's hard. I mean, we can get to know each other here, Sarah, no doubt. You seem like a wonderful person. Um, <laughs> but I, I, also, I also know that when we get together physically in an environment, we have you know body language we get to tap into. Yeah. Certainly over the next five years, I don't imagine a physical get-togethers as a meaningful way to create connections is going away. Uh, but I do see us being able to tap into a much larger audience globally if we're interesting. And the, the key is to be interesting. Uh, and next, I would say that the, the way things are going to change, I think, dramatically for our industry is it was a very uh, speaker-centric model 
meaning we put one speaker on stage and we try and get a lot of people to come in and watch that one speaker. Uh, now, uh, the reality is, is it's far more about the community, the people that are watching this call, uh, which really far more interesting, I think, than listening to us at, at, at some point. It's hard to do this for more than 15 minutes is really getting people involved. You know, who is the audience listening to us right now? And they are more important uh, than we are at this point. What do they want to know and how do we respond to them and, and their needs? Uh, and so those are things that I think I, I see shifting is that we'll, we'll be less enamored and excited about going to see a speaker and far more interested in knowing who is in our community and who's in our network and being able to connect with them. Okay. And uh, can you tell us a bit about the, uh, the competitive landscape? Do you have a certain framework with which you approach uh, strategy and, and, and adapting your, your product to the environment? Uh, yeah, you know, the reality is, is that for events, everybody's a competitor now. The number of, look, I, I've been invited, I'm not a speaker. It's not, my, it's not generally what I, I feel comfortable doing, but it's just not my, my thing. Uh, I put speakers on stage as, as I start off by saying at the beginning of the talk. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm now invited, you know, over the next two weeks to participate in four of these things. And so everybody's become a content producer. And I think it's wonderful. I think there's lots of opportunities. And I think some great people are going to come and are going to show up and are really going to manifest themselves as being really good at this all of a sudden. People that are, are, have the opportunity through these very easy tools, everybody can convene an audience relatively easily these days. Um, and so uh, competition is everybody. I mean, now, for all intents and purposes, Lil Wagon is now competing with Startup Fest, for, you, know, you know, connecting with an audience sharing some knowledge. Uh, you know, I'll put my email in here somewhere. So if anybody wants to connect with me, they can connect with me. And so that's what we do. That's why we go to events. Uh, there are some large scale events, of course, that we compete with uh, that are doing all sorts of things. Many of them have jumped on to create online content first. Uh, and that's where, from our perspective, we don't want to do, and, and I think any startup and any disruptive, you know, tech entrepreneur doesn't want to be doing things that everybody else is doing. They mm -hmm. want to be doing things in an original, differentiated, interesting fashion that, that garners attention. And so uh, our, comp our competitors, by and large, have all jumped very quickly to creating content online. Uh, and, and I mean, God love us, Saren, but you know, there's only so much of, of listening to two talking heads I can do in a day. Uh, and I certainly can't do this for four days straight like I would do at a conference. Uh, yeah. I can barely do this. I can barely do this for 15 minutes. So it's fine for me to be here talking to you because I'm interacting. But for those that are watching at a certain point, it's like, okay, you know, I've got something else to do here. Those that are connected, uh, and thank you for connecting everybody, by the way, uh, are doing so at night, which already I find much more in interesting because you've all jumped on board because you really want to be here. But you know, these things that are happening during the day where there's a hundred people watching it, like. I'm convinced that, you know, two thirds of the people are just not paying attention. And so, uh, yeah, it's figuring out, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the competition is how do we get, how do we capture people's attention in yeah. an interesting way that keeps them connected and really keeps them engaged more than listening. Great. 
Talking about our audience, um, I think it's time for some questions. Aline, if you want to jump in, uh, I've, I've, I've talked enough. I have plenty of other questions, but I'll, I'll just ask them if if we uh, <laughs> if our audience sure. doesn't have uh, enough. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea because we already had some, and actually we had some comments like uh, David Chabot. Do you recognize this name? Uh, good times, feel good times, and I... <laughs> <laughs> lots of fun good doing startup. <laughs> Wonderful guy. Yes. Um, so actually, the first question we got was uh, from Michel Sullivan. Good to see you again. Uh, how have you uh, seen the startup field evolve from a market priority perspective? Where are we in 2020 versus 2010? Oof. I mean, it's such a large scale. So I will avoid going to the current moment because the current moment has created all sorts of differences. But there is a vast difference between 2010 and 2019. And, you know, again, pre pre COVID, and the difference is is that startups were at the bottom of the barrel in 2010. And what I mean by that is nobody took startups seriously. Nobody thought that a startup was worthy giving a contract to. Nobody thought that uh, you know they would change the world. That uh, you know they're too small, too much risk. Uh, you know. The old adage of nobody gets fired for buying an IBM. Well, stars were not an IBM in 2010 by any stretch. And so uh, the vast difference is, is that come 2019, 2020, startups are are the thing. I mean, look at all the companies in 2010. I mean, the, 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 the biggest performing companies, okay, in the Ubers of this world, the Shopify's of this world, the you, know, you name it, Slack, all these companies, they didn't exist in 2010. And they are the darlings of, of the world. Uh, and so that's the big difference is that we've gone from being massive underdogs, you know, highly underestimated, which is probably a good thing, by the way, because it forced those entrepreneurs to really, you know, up their game and be that much better. Uh, but uh, it's, it's wonderful to see. I, I think there's a vast difference today. You know, the big companies need to worry about the small companies. In 2010, I think Blockbuster was still around and Netflix was just getting started. It's like, and now who knows Blockbuster? You know, maybe nobody in this audience remembers who Blockbuster was, uh, but Netflix is here. I mean, same thing for Siebel Systems versus Salesforce.com. I mean, Salesforce is a monster of a company today. Uh, and it, it was, you know, very small in 2010 at, the, at that time. Now, they weren't a startup at that point, but... Uh, yeah, so I mean, I see lots of differences. I don't know. There, there's probably certainly many others. I think there's a lot more money in the market as a result of this reality that startups are actually, you know, can be worth a lot more than IBM, uh, that investment flocked to that reality. And uh, where in the olden days, and, you know, just prior to Startup Fest, there was this big event in California called Demo. Uh, and, and Chris Shipley, who was the executive producer of that event, She's on our board at Startup Fest. She's from San Francisco. Their model was radically different. In those days, they would, you know, pay to fly in, in investors and media and analysts. They would treat them to these wonderful experiences of hotels and food. And startups would pay like something like $10,000 to get on stage and pitch their businesses to this audience. And that, I mean, just completely flipped. Today, you know, at Startup Fest, startups pay practically nothing to come to Startup Fest. If you're getting on our stage, you definitely don't pay anything. And we charge far more to investors to come and listen to the pitches than we, you know, than they did in the past. So 
I mean, so many things have changed in 10 years. I don't even know where to start. Uh, uh, those, are, those are maybe two good starting points. Yeah, and actually I have a question related to that because uh, I imagine a lot of uh, things changed also for people who wants to work in tech as well. And we have some people in the room that uh, they plan to apply for jobs in startups in the like very short term. term do you have any special advice for them? People that are looking for jobs in the short term? Uh, yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of unemployment, but it's not going to be in the tech sector. And so anybody who's in technology, there, there was there was a lack of available resources prior to COVID. And there will continue to be a lack of resources post-COVID in the technology sector. Now, if you weren't very good and you lost your job and you just weren't very good, well, you're going to have to go and find another job, I guess. But for those that are the, most of the great people did not lose their job, of course, because no, no company wants to lose its top uh, you know, technology resources. But also post-COVID, there's going to be a need for more technologists. Every company that wasn't technolo technologically ready for this is going to get ready. And so there's just tremendous opportunities out there. In any moments like this, uh, the entrepreneurs realize the, the vast opportunities that exist. And in all cases, those opportunities are going to involve technology. And so, you know, by all means, this is the place to be is to be a technologist uh, still to this day. You know, we don't hear as much about artificial intelligence uh, right now because, it's, you know, there's just less hype going on right now. We're back to basics of what needs to happen. And a lot of people that work in artificial intelligence at the end of the day are programmers. And so, you know, we're just going to need more programmers, more and more and more. That's not going away. We, we may need, unfortunately, less people in other sectors like, you know, hospitality and, and things of that sort. But uh, yeah, I think this audience is far more about technology than hospitality. Yes, <laughs> great. Actually, we have also another question from Samantha and uh, we spoke before the event. Uh, she told me she went to the Startup Fest. She was so impressed. Uh, she was a volunteer and she said, uh, I went to Startup Fest in 2017 and I thought the speakers were absolutely fantastic. Do you have a special trick to select engaging speakers? What is the first thing you, thing you look for? Do you train them uh, at all? Yeah, speakers is it's a very important aspect uh, of an event. Um, because, the, I mean, we don't use speakers to sell tickets, but certainly you could, if you get a big name speaker, Richard Branson, uh, you can sell very expensive your ticket. And so there are plenty of organizations that do that. It's more of a show business. Uh, so I bring in Michelle Obama and I can sell a ticket now for 500 bucks to go see Michelle Obama because people somehow are willing to spend, uh, you know, exorbitant amounts of money just to be in the same room. As, as one of these people. Uh, we focus far more on people that have lessons to teach. I've got a fabulous content team and it's their responsibility to you know, vet speakers. We, we receive a lot of people that want to speak on our stages, but we, by and large, we create the story we want to tell. And then we go and we find experts that can help tell that story. And like I said earlier, dirt under the nails. So they've really spent the time in the trenches. And, and we want our audience to be able to see themselves in that speaker. In terms of preparing them, some of these speakers, they do it semi-professionally. It's just part of their job. They speak. They go on the speaking circuit, in which case you don't need to train them on how to speak. Uh, you just need to tell them who the audience is. You got to really give them the more information we give them on who is in the room, 
the better the content is because they've adapted that content to that audience. Uh, in some cases, we put younger speakers on stage. Uh, you know, we've got a very big focus on, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion at Starfest. We try and have 50% of our speakers be women or people that represent some form of a minority. Uh, and in often cases, those people have a little bit less experience because we're just less called upon. Uh, in which case, we've got to work a little bit more with them on their skills. Uh, and, you know, we go through their presentations with them. We let them test it out and stuff of that sort. But uh, by and large, we have speakers that have been out there before and, and get to do it. So uh, choosing speakers, though, is, is a talent, uh, like anything else. It's a, it's, a, it's a real talent. It's like hiring people. You need a good HR person. You need, in our case, we need a good you know, content wrangler. And, and that would be Rebecca on our Great. team. Um, speaking about that as well, uh, Florian asked, uh, what are the themes you will tackle this year? You have uh, already an idea? Uh, yeah, you know, our theme this year was 10X because it was our 10th anniversary. So we were going to explore everything necessary to grow your business uh, or grow any part of your business tenfold. What does it mean to go from 1,000 users to 10,000 users or 10,000 to 100,000? What does it mean to take your revenues from $1,000 to $10,000 or, you know, a million to 10 million? Uh, and so the theme was really around, uh, you know, exponential growth. Uh, of 10x. Uh, right now, you know, everything is turned upside down. And so uh, we're still figuring out, you know, the theme of wanting to help entrepreneurs. We've always had an underlying theme and that never changes. And that's, you know, more entrepreneurs and a better quality of entrepreneurs. And that theme doesn't change. Uh, our, our brand essence doesn't change either. That's to say, you know, we're fun, we're dynamic, we're a place where, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And we expect people to be, you know, somewhat imperfect uh, in, in themselves and in their process as well. Uh, in terms of the themes of the content, uh, what I can assure you we won't do is we're not going to do how to survive in a crisis and stuff of that sort. That's not what we survive on. I mean, we're far more about looking forward, you know, uh, in the curve. And so uh, right now it's about, I think, digital transformation and how established businesses that have been doing the same old, same old for a long time, how are they going to now truly transform? So it's true transformation uh, because we can no longer do this. So I don't know, when it comes to our content, uh, we've got fabulous speakers that were lined up to speak at Starfest. They can speak generally on a myriad of topics. Uh, and so we'll see what the themes of our content roll out to be. Uh, but I can assure you the themes of creating opportunities for entrepreneurs uh, won't go away anytime soon. So expect many competitions, expect, you know, us to create many opportunities to connect entrepreneurs to, to opportunities we can. Awesome. Uh, we have a question from uh, Leah, also alumni from Le Wagon. She has a hard question, actually. Can you name three startups of the Montreal ecosystem that inspires you? Three startups that inspire me. Uh, again, I won't talk about in the, the immediate short term, Uh, I'm extremely inspired by um, Dax De Silva at Lightspeed. Uh, I think he's built an incredible culture. Uh, he's been around for a very long time, but I, I think he's an absolute inspiration uh, as a as a person, as an entrepreneur. Uh, I think his business is rock solid. I mean, doing point of sale systems and you know, in a in a very advanced way is, is a very right place. Uh, you know, my heart doesn't go out to you know the very small right now uh it, it's a hard thing to say i've been i've been a little bit disconnected from 
um, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that are in the trenches uh, right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll tend towards those that have been doing things over the last, you know, couple of years. I love Breather. I think Breather is a fantastic business, although they've got to be struggling these days. Uh, what with people not moving about, you know, maybe they'll actually do better in all this uh, because of COVID. Uh, I've always been a big fan of bus.com. Uh, I like the entrepreneurs that are behind bus.com. Um, I try to, I try to say, like I say to my kids, I don't really have, they're all my favorite. <laughs> I like all entrepreneurs. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the easy route out. But Buzz.com <laughs> was with us uh, last year as well. And uh, we, we also had, were super impressed. Uh, it was a great story. We, we really loved it. Uh, there is another question uh, here from yeah. uh, Leo. With your uh, global view of the startup ecosystem worldwide, what makes Montreal ecosystem unique compared to the rest of North America and the rest of the world? Yeah, you know, look, I don't think... Uh, the, what makes us unique is absolutely the diversity. Uh, it's the fact that we're multilingual, uh, we're relatively young, we're risk takers, we're super cultural, uh, we are highly communicative. Uh, you know, I think there's many other great ecosystems out there. I and mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think Montreal is the only place to build a startup. But, you know, we've got low cost of living, lots of universities, uh, you know, highly diverse, educated, interesting, you know, people that don't think, you know, straight and, and, and just in one direction. So uh, I think those are things that, you know, will continue to be real strong assets uh, for us. I mean, the only thing I always say, the only thing we don't have going for us is the weather. <laughs> and if we had beautiful weather, <laughs> forget it. We'd, there'd be just way too many people in the city and we would lose everything that, that we have. Uh, but, you know, there's certain joie de vivre of, of a Montreal community it's really easy to get connected. You who's Brazilian, you know, uh, I always tell the story of Felipe Coimbra from Brazil who came here, who knew no, nobody, ran a couple of events and after a couple of you know months knew everybody. Uh, and so Montreal is good that way. It's, it's easy to connect into the community uh, and, and it's easy to find you know, some great talent uh, talent here. So. And, you know, it's a, it's a little bit difficult to be here. So people that are here and that choose to be here, either choose to emigrate here or choose to stay here, uh, have a little bit of a gritty, badass, you know, nature to them, you know, because uh, trust me, it would have been a lot easier for me, especially as an Anglophone. I mean, je parle le français, mais je suis plutôt anglophone. But as an Anglophone, it, it would have been a lot easier to, with a lot of my friends, move down the 401 to, to Toronto or something. Uh, certainly a lot of business opportunities and, and whatnot. But uh, you know, we're here because we love our, our city. And uh, and I think most Montrealers, you got to love it to be here. So that, that says a lot about our community. That's true. And uh, yes, actually uh, mentioned another question related to it. If you feel there is something missing in Montreal for the startup world. There's something missing in Montreal. Yeah, you know, I think what we're missing is um, a couple of things. It's maybe, you know, somewhat uh, cliche, uh, there's still a, a, a lack of willingness to fail uh, and a real stigma around failure that, uh, you know, I think we get rid of. Some, some communities are far better at that than we are here in Montreal. We don't, uh, we look at the train wreck. We don't figure out how to help the person that went through it or figure out, oh, you know, what did you learn? And, and so I think there, there are some elements that are, of course, dealing with this. And there's things like fuck up nights. They're specifically dedicated to content around people who make mistakes. But I think that can be, uh, you know, really 
it helped out a lot. You know, how do we how do we train people to be more comfortable with uh, with failure? Uh, and then similarly to my, you know, really the, the flip side of my original point, which was, you know, we're diverse and you want to be here. It's a little bit difficult to be here. It's not it's not the easiest political environment from time to time. It changes. Right now, it's quite easy. Uh, we all seem to be rallied around our, our premier. Um, but uh, but on the flip side of that, you know, it's hard for us to attract top talent that is unilingual, uh, that only wants to come here for the job. They're here, they're, they want to come for five years. And so we're a little bit more challenged because if they have kids, they got to send their kids to French schools and stuff of that sort. So it's not politics. Uh, I, again, I, I, I'm entitled to send my kids to English school. I send them to French school. I am all for maintaining the French language. So I don't want anybody to get, you know, up in arms that, uh, you know, that, that I don't believe in, in uh, a Francophone culture. I do. But uh, in terms of weaknesses, it just means that to maintain that strength, uh, we maybe lose out on an opportunity to bring in other top talent uh, because of these, you know, rules and regulations. That would be my only thing. I think our, our tax rate is also pretty high, but I mean, that's going to become a numbers game. And actually, uh, David was like totally with you on, on that one, Phil, about uh, the ups, uh, the, the advantages of Montreal and the uh, advantages. And uh, actually, I think it's uh, already the last question from Samantha. Is there a failure that uh, taught you a lot? Well, I think all failures t teach me a lot. Uh, I, I go through, you know, there's nothing like failure. I think, uh, you know, which failure in particular? Look, we've run events that haven't succeeded. Uh, and not that they didn't succeed financially, but, you know, this notion of what is failure and, and how do you define failure uh, is very important. And so when I, when I do something and it doesn't uh, attain the vision of what I set out to do, to me, I sort of feel like I fail on that. And, and you're running events is a very particular type of person uh, that, you, you know, it's never perfect. It's never the way it should be. And, and so there are many little failures that are all over the place. It's trying to be meaningful in this, you know, I don't know. I guess my biggest failure right now uh, to try and answer more concretely uh, to Samantha is uh, that, you know, I took the route that was easier on funding at a certain point. That is to say that as an organization, you know, we make money from selling tickets. We make money from, you know, sponsors giving us money and we get money from governments that want to give us grants uh, to, to, you know, support entrepreneurship locally. Uh, and, and I think that I made the mistake at a certain point to focus too much on grants. And I say that only because, you know, whoever you focus on at a certain point becomes the audience that you're serving. And it didn't last long when I realized where, hold on a second, if I'm serving the needs of economic development departments, then they care about entrepreneurs. I've dissociated myself from the caring of the entrepreneurs. And so this wonderful moment in time, which is COVID, allows us to go back and say, you know what, let's rewrite and let's return to what it is we really care about. And as long as I can convince an audience that we can support them and do something for them and they can do something for themselves and we'll regain uh, in our focus. 
And so it's the fail- failure of staying focused on, you know, our core. Uh, would be my, you're asking, you know, the biggest failure, something that you know, you're not asking about a small thing. So uh, I would say that that's probably one of the bigger awesome. ones of recent. But but I, I fail. I try and fail all the time. I mean, the platforms we're launching out right now, I expect half of them to fail. So. Thank you for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe.